You're listening to the Full and Thriving Podcast, a place where courageous women come to break free from food obsession, heal their relationship with their body, and strive to live a life that's present, lighthearted, and meaningful. If you're listening, my wish is that this podcast serves as a catalyst that inspires you to nourish your body, nurture your mind, and energize your spirit. I'm your host, Meg McCabe, a certified life coach and eating disorder recovery coach with a PhD in having a good time. Just kidding about that last part. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of the Full and Thriving Podcast. I am so excited today because we're talking about something that I see several of my clients have questions about and struggle with, and that is disordered exercise and also disordered eating that links to disordered exercise. And today I have a very special guest on with me. Her name is Lindsay Elizabeth Fow. She is a sports dietitian through Rise Up Nutrition. She is a former D1 athlete, and now she is an NCAA sports dietitian, which is super cool. So, Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm so happy to be talking to you about this and just grateful to be here. I'm really happy you're here too. It's, I'm telling you, like, I have had an influx of athletes and women who are very interested in sports and they're struggling right now because they're trying to figure out how to navigate their relationship with sports and recovery at the same time. And it feels like sports can be really triggering. Sometimes you need to stop working out versus, you know, exploring joyful movement. And I have a million questions for you. So I'm so excited to have you here. First of all, before we dive into the meat and potatoes of the conversation, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background and your story and how Rise Up Nutrition came to be. Sure. Um... Well, I guess my story with nutrition, becoming a dietitian just began with an interest in sports and performance. So I was, um, you know, for my high school league, I was a pretty solid athlete. I was a really great gymnast and a good track runner. Um, and that's, you know, I think when it came down to it, um, I never resonated back in high school with having an eating disorder. That is nothing that ever crossed my mind or even anybody around me never questioned me on that. But the truth is that when it came time to decide on what do I want to study in college, you know, I, I love sports and performance, but I didn't want to be a physical therapist. I didn't want to be a gym teacher. And my mom pointed out to me like, Hey, Lindsay, you're really good at dieting. <laughs> maybe you should teach other people how to diet because I was very regimented. Like I was counting calories by age 15. You know, I was, I was, I went to Weight Watchers meetings with my mom when I was 15, just cause I was interested in it. But like maybe, you know, in hindsight, like not for the right reasons. Right. Wow. Um, I was very body conscious as a gymnast. I had a surgery senior year of college um, that put me out of my sport and did end in weight gain. And then when I had to return to my sport, like that's, I remember like chugging these drinks that I thought was going to like help me lose weight. And really I was just drinking water. Like it it was disordered, even though this was not 
on my spectrum. So that's kind of just where, why I went into nutrition though, was with the mindset of like, Oh, I'm good at dieting. I should teach other people how to do that. Wow. (laughs) That is so interesting because it is such a contrived badge of honor to have. Like I'm really good at dieting. And it's, it's interesting because I'm sure a lot of people with eating disorders would say they're good at dieting too, (laughs) even though it's totally skewed. So that is totally wild that you just was living your high school life and you're like, I am so good at dieting. (laughs) Let me make this my career. Yeah. And, um, and, but very quickly, as I got into the field of nutrition, I also was competing as a D one athlete as a track and field athlete. And I struggled with it. And I think I also was conflicted with myself. Like why, why am I struggling when I walk into a dining hall with like wanting to eat all the food, but then still feeling the pressure of like needing to be a certain size or weight uh, for performance. And then also like low iron and fatigue because our practices were grueling and then class after class after class. And then here I am studying nutrition and it was like, I should have had it figured out, but I think I I was, I was battling that. Like I, I should know nutrition since I'm a major in it and I knew a lot about it, but I was still struggling with the implementation of it. And again, at this time, I still would have never Um, resonated with having an eating disorder because I was studying to be a dietitian, you know, like there was no way eating disorder. It's so Um, sneaky. Uh, But the thing is like, it is a lot about perspective because I would say my eating disorder was so obvious to me because I was suffering, like suffering. Yeah. um, Mentally. Yeah. You know, and you were seeing it as this is my career. This is what I need to do to become a better athlete or at least trying to become a better athlete. So it wasn't, I don't know that mental, it had the obsession was there, but it didn't necessarily have a negative connotation. Absolutely. I think that's a great way to put it. And, you know, I did have my periods of, you know, behaviors that, that were obvious to resonate with an eating disorder, but I I still felt like, you know, like many people do, like I had control, Mm -hmm. you know, so yeah. And I, and I, I would say, I agree with you, like mentally I wasn't struggling, but while I was studying nutrition too, though, that's when it really did hit me though, of like just what wellness really meant Mm. and, and what health really meant, you know, I'm going to be honest. I love my career as a dietitian, but I did learn in dietetic school, you know, about low fat diets and things like, and, you know, just like, no sugar and things like that. And I think I was kind of teasing it out though, that like, maybe I think it's, you know, not really about that. And, Mm. um, I went on to grad school to get my degree specifically in sports nutrition, because with what I was struggling with in college, I didn't have a dietitian or nutritionist, um, to support our athletic team. And, I really needed that. All the girls on my team really needed that. And I knew it existed. I knew sports nutrition existed as a career field. So I went on to get my master's in sports nutrition and then started working in a, well, I guess my first job was in a hospital, but then quickly after I did get into the sports setting and I worked at the university of Georgia and at Florida state university as their sports dietitian and stepping into really what it means to fuel for performance. And those are big name schools. You know, I did compete division one, but I was in the ACC and which is a great conference, but I'm just going to say the SEC <laughs> is just something different 
right? Like the money that goes into athletics, like there's just a different level of expectation. We had five dietitians on staff. Wow. You know, so that was really like, what does it mean to support an entire athletic department and really fuel for, for performance? And then, um, I stepped away from that for just a little bit. Um, and I'll be quick as I wrap up my story. Of, no, of, it's fine. <laughs> take, up, take up space in the story. You can do it. It's fine. I, I stepped away from traditional sport for a little bit. And I actually um, ended up becoming the dietitian for Air Force Special Operations. Um, wow. uh, yeah, and I did that for about four years. Really enjoyed working for the military. And it wasn't uh, perform like it wasn't sport, but it was still using nutrition to fuel for performance, just a different type of performance, you know, a war and combat performance. Um, I really enjoyed that. But when life kind of took a turn and I had to reassess my career path, I really felt like, you know, where my heart was, although I loved working with these military men, like that wasn't where my heart was. My heart was with the female athlete that was struggling with eating and that I knew, I knew, you know, this is now 10 years later from my college days. And I'm like, I know what I would have told my high school self and what I would have told my college self. And I wanted to go back and do that. And hence I created Rise Up Nutrition uh, to help female athletes overcome disordered eating and use nutrition to fuel to their highest level of performance. Wow. So if you could say something to your high school or college self, what would you say now? For me, it would just be to stop stressing about your weight and let your body do what it needs to do, mm -hmm. which is like oversimplified. But I was constantly trying to control my weight mm -hmm. constantly. Mm -hmm. It was less, uh, it was less about my shape or body part. It was, it was my weight. Yeah. And and, and I so did body do what it needed to do. Yeah. So yeah. did you find that there was a shift like throughout your athletic career? Did you ever have that aha moment that allowed you to let go of the weight obsession? And did you ever experience being an athlete with a fully fueled body and a body that just yeah. did what it needed to do? Well, I'm there now. I still compete. I still run oh, wow. a marathon this year. Um, so I, I would say, yeah, I, for the last few years, um, last five plus years, say, I don't know, eight years. How old am I now? Oh my <laughs> <laughs> but I, I've been competing, feeling amazing, running, uh, lifting weights. I did a 20 mile trail race last year and just won it and like felt amazing. So I, I definitely know that, that you can do that. You know, you can perform your absolute best. I feel like I'm a better athlete now than I was in college. Wow. So I, I do know you can get to that point. And I think that's one thing I try and do with my clients is like, I would like to save them the 10 years. <laughs> you know, and help and help them now, especially because if you are a college athlete, like, you know, and, and for me too, like that was it. I wasn't going pro. I was nowhere near going <laughs> pro. Right. So like that was my time. And I would like for more girls and women to have that opportunity to really shine during their time. Mm -hmm. That's so true. And I never reached college athlete level, but I was definitely varsity swimmer all four years. And I had my eating disorder for a big chunk of that time. Yeah. And I remember, so I made varsity really with very little swimming experience. I was just naturally yeah. athletic yeah. and I always had this natural swimming talent, but I was not eating enough. Yeah. And so I always wonder what would have happened if I yeah. ate enough 
and if I actually lifted weights, because I was so obsessed with being lightweight and thin, I avoided lifting weights too. And yeah. that actually really helps you in swimming. So mm-hmm. I, I think about that and I was like, could I have kicked ass in, in competition? Because I did make it to States, but I was starving myself. So I'm like, what could have happened? Could I have gone to the college sports? Like, who knows? I did not respect my body. All I cared about was being thin. Yeah. And it it is that missed potential that's heartbreaking. And also that I'm sure your memories of being on the swim team probably aren't as great, you know, (laughs) like when, you know, high school, like pre-meat pasta parties, that should be fun. But if you're stressed the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. Those pasta parties, they were mixed feelings. Sometimes they were fun. Sometimes they were stressful and terrifying and It's interesting to think about. I was just like you kind of, I was going through my disordered stuff kind of, I knew that it was really bad and mentally stressful, but I also like to compartmentalize it and ignore it to get through. Yeah. And like minimize how serious it was. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And you know, another thing I want to say too, is even though I'm talking about like the college or high school athlete, like whether or not people listening to this resonate with being an athlete or not, like a lot, like just exercise, I think is a very important part of people's lives. Right. And even now, like I, I am running, but I'm not running for competition. Like I, okay, maybe a little bit, but that's just myself, like enjoying competition. Like this, I'm not getting, you know, any prizes or money or sponsorships or going pro like this is for myself or something I enjoy. And so I think, you know, that, no matter what level athlete or just, you know, exerciser you are, I think it's so important to, to respect your body in the process and to know, like, just cause you're not in college anymore. doesn't mean you can't challenge yourself and enjoy exercise too. Right. Like I didn't run a marathon cause I needed to, I ran a marathon because I wanted to. It's such a valuable distinction to, to yeah. know that you want to do something for you versus you want to do something to lose weight or look a certain way. Yeah. Because like right now it's summertime in Texas and I'm not running because I don't want to. I'm not okay. (laughs) Right. That kind of loops me into my first question. I want to ask you, we've never asked you a bunch about your background, but a disordered exerciser from my knowledge and experience with clients would see a sweltering hot day in Texas and still force themselves to run 10 miles outside. Yeah. And someone with a healthy relationship with exercise would say, you know what? I'm going to pass today because I'm going to get dehydrated. I'm tired and I like the air conditioning. You know, I think it's like, that's kind of what I want people to aim for. Yeah. But what I'm curious to you are like, what are some signs and symptoms of disordered exercise? Because I think it's hard to distinguish if you are a serious athlete. Yeah. Um, I, I think it just comes down to the motive and reasoning behind things. And then also on a physical perspective, if that exercise is causing physical harm. So, I mean, that's the obvious one and you can, you can have those, you know, parallels with disordered eating as well. Like there, there is disordered eating that causes physical harm and that's an obvious, but it doesn't undermine the disordered eating that hasn't resulted in physical harm, maybe just a mental, emotional and disordered exercise can have both as well. So there can be the physical harm of 
having uh, injured body injuries that aren't healing, repeated stress fractures, you know, a, a dangerously low body weight, anemia that's not healing itself, right? Like those are kind of those physical signs. And then there's also the mental dependency. Like if your mood is based on whether or not you got your workout in. And this is, this is also a tricky one because we do know that exercise releases those feel good hormones and endorphins and, and, um, you know, and, and so that's, it's good that exercise can elevate your mood. That's a good thing, but it's a bad thing if you need exercise to elevate your mood. Yeah right? There should be other things that can also elevate your mood. Yeah. It's so, it's so true because with intuitive eating and healthy eating, quote unquote, you know, some people question intuitive eating because they're like, well, I like to eat healthy because it boosts my mood and it makes me feel better. So why should I be challenging myself with ice cream and pizza and all of this yeah. stuff and it they I can feel that dependency on food to make them feel better yeah you know and usually what I say to challenge that too is like well what if you know what if you're at a birthday party and it only has soda and pizza are you not going to eat it or are you going to eat it and in the same way with exercise like what if you are flying all day and then when you land at your hotel, there's a snowstorm, so you can't exercise outside and the gym is closed. Like you need to just accept that you can't exercise that day and move on. Same way that if you're at a birthday party and there's only pizza and soda, like, are you just going to not eat and be miserable for the next four hours? Are you just going to eat a slice of pizza? Yeah. And I think that's where, yeah, that it's, it's one thing to want to eat a salad and to want to exercise, but it's a different thing to need to only eat a salad and need to exercise every single day. Yeah. There is a little bit of flexibility that needs to happen and acceptance when things don't go as planned. Yeah. With, um, that pizza, that pizza example you give in the name of health. Like if you're eating, if you're not eating pizza in the name of health, skipping a meal isn't healthy. So it's a little bit of a, I don't know. You're not really staying true to your integrity if you're claiming health and then skipping meals, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, and here's, here's another one with the exercise too. Is it really healthy to compromise your sleep to wake up at 4.30 to get a workout in before you go to work? Ooh, yeah, it's so true because sleep is so valuable. Yeah. Sleep is so important. And that's why it's so hard for me to wake up early to work out. Because I need, I feel like I need more sleep than the average person. Everyone's body needs a different level of sleep too, just like how it needs different level of food or a different level of exercise. Absolutely. But yeah, as far as like how, you know, to answer your original question as to like, you know, what is exercise dependence and, you know, how can you kind of spot it? But those are a couple examples, right? Like, mm-hmm. If there are limiting constraints where you can't exercise, are you able to accept that? Or are you going to be doing crunches on your hotel floor, you know, or are you compromising your sleep to get out for a run or go to the gym before work, even though you're absolutely run down and exhausted? Um, And these are things that do wear on you both physically and mentally over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very helpful information there. 
Another question I have for you, with people with eating disorders, sometimes they are told they can't exercise anymore, or maybe they can only walk or do yoga. And what do you have to say to those people who are kind of really chomping at the bit to get back at it, but are in recovery? Yeah. Well, I would say that training is a privilege, you know, that you do have to be a healthy human first and foremost Mm -hmm. before you have that privilege to train and push your body, right? That's, that's what exercise is all about. Like what we formally think of as exercise and sport in today's society is like pushing your body to the limits, you know, back. And here's another thing. Sorry, just to like, like women have not been participating in sport for that long, which Mm -hmm. might be mind blowing to some of the people listening to this who have maybe, you know, like me, even I, you know, I'm, I'm in my thirties. So I've grown up with like, I've always been an athlete. This is normal, but like, you know, for my mom, it wasn't for my mom. They had swimming, dance and gymnastics for girls. And for my grandmother, like, no, it wasn't at all. You know, Mm. the very first time women, um, ran a marathon in the Olympics was in 1986, you know? So, Oh my God, that is so recent in my opinion. Yes. So as far as like women really hitting the gym and exercising or being in sport, like, you know, a year long, a season, a training program, like scientifically, this is still kind of new. And, um, so I guess where I'm going with this is I think girls, many girls and women, and just athletes in general, though, like we are pushing our bodies and that is something that we is a privilege that we shouldn't be doing unless we're a healthy human first. Mm-hmm. And then as a healthy human, we need to be smarter about how we train because again, it, this is still relatively new. And just because this is what your friend is doing, or this is what a professional athlete is doing, or this is what somebody did 10 years ago, like that doesn't mean it's right. Uh, we have a lot of new research coming out about women in sport and how we should train. And, you know, we shouldn't be training like how the men are. We're, we're different. And yet we have been. Mm. So I don't know if I just went way off topic there for you. No, I think it's really cool to put all of this in perspective and recognize that we are different from men. A lot of the research out there was made for men and that's not going to match up to how women need to nourish and fuel their bodies with exercise. Right. And so for somebody who has um, an eating disorder and is being told like that they can't exercise, I think, that's, that sucks to hear that. That's very, you know, disappointing and challenging, but you need to be very, very clear on what your goals are and what your intentions are. So if your intention is to have a a lifelong of, of, you know, health and movement, then yeah, it's still going to start with recovering from your eating disorder first. And if your intention is to be an athlete, like I just said, training at a high level is a privilege and you have to do it smart. You can't just beat your body down every single day. It's not sustainable and it's not what we were meant to do. I think a lot of people think that with exercise, they think like no pain, no gain. And that's, that's just not true. (laughs) If you have pain and you hurt yourself, you can't work out the next day. So this, this is, it really is about recovery and rest and fuel is where you see the gain. Yeah. 
So how, you know, I know you talk about the FAST method. Yeah. And can you tell me a little bit about that? Because I have a feeling it's connected to this shift of really, instead of beating your body down, kind of cherishing your body and respecting your body while pushing it to its physical limits and achievements. Yeah, yeah. So the the fast track, it's it's the female athlete system of transformation. Mm. It's a nice little acronym that spells out fast. Um, and it's it really it it is in Rise Up Nutrition. It's the twelve week program to overcoming disordered eating and performing at your highest level. And you know, I call it the fast track not only because it's that nice little acronym to transform yourself from somebody with disordered eating into somebody who's really free of that and just confident in their body, fierce in their mindset, fit in their body and fueled nutritionally. Um, but also because so many people struggle with disordered eating for a long time, mm-hmm. you know, even if it's just been a couple weeks or months, like that's still kind of grueling and some people it's years or decades. And so this is the fast track because it's 12 weeks to really transform you into a fierce fit and fueled female athlete. I am a runner, so I like to be fast. <laughs> <laughs> And I think um, also, you know, as far as eating disorders go and disordered eating, we're kind of using those two terms interchangeably, you know, and an eating disorder is is something more clinical, but disordered Mm -hmm. eating is still very serious. I think that there's a spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't want to give anybody false hope that you can overcome all of your problems in 12 weeks, but I have some clients that do depending on where they were starting, you know, with their journey. And I have some clients who just really overcome those major, major obstacles within 12 weeks because it, it is, um, everybody is on a different journey. So on the fast track, you know, we kind of self-select, they self-select their goals with my guidance and support um, in what those goals should be. Um, so I'll just give you a few examples. If okay, you know, awesome. Yeah. yeah. So I had a client come to me in January or February who was struggling with some just completely restrictive eating, under fueling, and uh, then when she did eat some compensatory behaviors, and she was actively competing in Division One athletics as well, um, and she didn't have her period. So you know, for her, her twelve week goals were to to stop these compensating behaviors, um, normalize her fueling get rid of the guilt shame cycle and eat what her body needed to perform at the level that she was. And we accomplished all of those things. I mean, she was getting the energy that she needed to run and she like mentally had such a good relationship with food at the end of these 12 weeks. You know, she didn't get her period back in those 12 weeks, but that wasn't our main focus. Right. And this this is something we're actually still working together. So this is the long-term goal for her, but it wasn't the 12 week goal. Versus I've had clients come to me telling me, I want to get my period back. I, I want to have a baby soon. And, you know, they still have that similar story of under fueling or a disordered relationship with food and exercise dependence. And so for them, it's we're not exercising and we're eating all the food and I'm going to challenge you every day of the week. And she got her period back within 12 weeks. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, which is really fast. Actually, I think it took 14. <laughs> I think it was right after the program. The thing is, though, that's really cool because you never know with biology when that period is yeah. going to feel safe to come back, you know? Right. So it's, it's like right. a goal, but it's not like you could re- tell the future. 
and no, no. she was just fueling her body in a necessary right. way and respecting right. her body. And that is so right. amazing to hear. And it makes sense that everyone would have different goals related to where they are in that disordered eating spectrum. Exactly. And so, right. So those are the, your, your major obstacles that you're going to overcome in 12 weeks are the ones that are most important to you. And of course, with my guidance, my professional guidance that I think are most important too. I'm not going to let something just go unnoticed if it's a glaring problem, but I think that's, that's really important when this is your journey in recovery is, is making it your journey as well. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. And so, so I guess where I'm going with this too, like the fast track, it is a program. It is learning how to love yourself. It's learning how to love food. I always want all my clients to have fun with food. We learn about the importance of fueling, but also fueling, um, in its relationship to exercise and performance and sport, even if you're not exercising right now, because I do have clients who, like I gave that one example are not exercising and I have other clients who are. But either way, I want them to learn about how to fuel their body for performance. Mm-hmm. Um, because if the day comes where they can exercise, I want to guide them through that and what that looks like. Yeah. Can you, can you give me an example of what fueling your body for performance looks like and also how one might actually get there? Like what needs to change to, to go from disordered eating to fueling your body for performance? still going to be individualized, but let me, I'll just say a few <laughs> things. When we're talking about feeling for performance, more is helpful, right? I think a lot of people think like performance need to be lean or light or whatever. And it's like, nope, you need more energy. So mm-hmm. more is helpful. Carbs are undeniably amazing. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, nutrient timing is important. I believe in intuitive eating and I preach intuitive eating, but there, as an athlete, you, sometimes you just need to get the job done and you need to fuel at a specific time because that, that's what matters, right? Whether or not you're hungry, it's like, nope, I, I need to get this in. I need to be a smart athlete and I need mm-hmm. to get this in. I need to eat now. So, and then have my training session and then recover. Feeling for performance definitely means pre, during, and post training fuel, even during, which mm. um, <laughs> surprise some people fueling for performance. What a good question. <laughs> like I that. ask good questions. Yeah. I, mean, I like to think so. <laughs> you, do, you do. Fueling for performance absolutely means putting any diet culture messages aside. Um, mm-hmm. They just do not work in this setting. I don't think they work for an eating disorder recovery setting. I don't think they work for a healthy living setting. Uh, I don't think diet culture messages work for anything except I will just also back that up with in athletics and performance diet culture messages. There's no room for them. Seriously. Yeah. And do you want to know what's interesting? And I would love to just highlight this to people listening is you're really, you really focus on food as energy and fuel, which is really I hope people with, you know, my eating disorder, people who are on meal plans and like are resistant to fueling themselves enough. It's like, you need to think of it as energy for your brain, for your body, for your mental concentration, like all of that energy, all of that food is, it goes somewhere. It doesn't all just turn to fat. 
No. And, and that is the truth, right? Like calorie, like in my dietetics books and my nutrition books, I can pull off the shelf. The calorie is energy. Mm-hmm. And I actually hardly say the word calorie. I say the word energy. Yeah. How much energy are you getting today? Did you I energize? Did you energize before you run? And yeah. And, and eating, I even think that word, it can feel like a job to eat. But it feels exciting to fuel. Yeah, it does. I always make the reference of like filling up the tank of gas. Yeah. yeah. You no, know, because it is fueling. And you are it it shows the big picture that it's it's running the whole body. You know, yeah. it's it really does um make a difference. I never thought of eating that way in like um in a connotation of feeling like a chore but it definitely does sometimes yeah i think in both eating disorder recovery it feels like a job a task a, a demand maybe and as an athlete it can feel the same sometimes and then of course right i'm working with both i'm working with athletes with disorder eating so it can it can feel like a job something i just have to do and and um I want it to be fun, but, and that's just one way. It's like, this is fuel. This is how you keep running. This is how you keep operating, how you move forward. This is energy that you need. And that's, that's undeniable. That's just a truth. A calorie is energy. Yeah. It has calories, then it has energy. And what's wrong with energy? Nothing, nothing. I love that. So next time you guys are eating, instead of thinking that, say I'm fueling up or I'm energizing. Yes. Exactly. And when I did life coaching, because I did that before I got into eating disorder recovery, I, I'm telling you so many people who came to me for life coaching needed more energy in their life. Yeah. Like it's a goal for a lot of people to feel more energized and just think of food that way. That could be a bridge to more energy in your life as a whole. It totally is. Totally. Yeah. You know, and I, I just to caveat a little bit, um, I do, like I say, I, I help people with disordered eating. So whether or not it's a clinically diagnosed eating disorder. And I see that a lot of people coming to me just like I was many, many years ago, like eating disorder. No, that's not me, but like, oh, I'm so low on energy. And then at night I'm so hungry and, you know, and I'm like, well, that's a little bit disordered then because why are you not eating throughout the day, you know, <laughs> and, and trying to dig into that. And I do work with a lot of people who um, just need that. They need that energy in their life, that nourishment um, to really pick themselves up and, and help them move forward in the achievement of their goals, athletic or otherwise career life goals, mom goals, whatever it might be. Yeah. I, it's, it's really helpful to think of it that way. So I have so many more questions for you. Um, We'll see how many we can get to. Here's one that comes up a lot with those I work with, and that is many people use, and you mentioned this a little earlier, so I'm excited to get back to it. Many people use working out to feel good, but also to cope with anxiety. Yeah. And I find that when I'm asking my clients to either pull back on working out and exercise or stop altogether, they get a little nervous because they're like, how in the world am I going to manage my anxiety now? Yeah, it can create more anxiety for sure. Again, thinking like big picture though is when they do exercise in a way that they think is coping with their anxiety it just perpetuates the problems, right? Because now they're not 
healing their body or their mind because they're still depending on something they know in the back of their head, this is independence and it's unhealthy. And so it is something that then kind of just perpetuates the entire eating disorder. And so at the end of the day, does it relieve your anxiety if it's continuing to feed the fire and, you know, create more anxiety around the whole thing? It's really not. So it's kind of taking that big picture and recognizing that you might be saying it helps you cope with your anxiety, but the facts in front of you are that it's not. You just call people out. <laughs> I do that a lot. I call people out. And the second thing I would say too is like, what you know, just, just like anything is what is your anxiety about? Um, if your anxiety is about, you know, doing all of this work and, you know, and family drama going on, then what does spending an hour on the treadmill do? Sounds like you need to get some work done or call your family and talk this out, you know, it, whatever it might be. Like, I think exercise isn't actually coping. It's just in this situation could just be delaying, delaying mm -hmm. the results that they really or delaying the, uh, the true coping that they need for that anxiety. Mm, wow. Yeah. I think eating disorders are super sneaky and it can whisper in your ear, you need to work out because you have anxiety, not an eating disorder. Yeah. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it could be your eating disorder lying to you. Yeah. Um, so interesting. Yeah. People listening, you've just been called out. <laughs> <laughs> But what about, so there are those people though, who they feel excess energy pent up maybe because they can't yeah. move as much. So how do they cope with that? Like, how do they cope with that need to move, but not being able to, just like when the athlete is injured and they really want to yeah. move, but they can't, like, how do you deal with that? Yeah. I mean, you can still move, right? Um, yeah. Well, I guess I shouldn't make that huge assumption, but most people are still going to be allowed to move, mm -hmm. um, but maybe just in different ways. Viewing that, and I think another thing I do, because I have a client who who did this recently, she took um, a little more than three months off, and she kept telling me, but I'm so energized, I know I can run now, I have so much energy, and I had her write a list of things that she always wanted to do, but never had time for, because she was always exercising. Oh, she filled up her 12 weeks with things to do. She had so much to do, right? So I was like, look, like if, if you do want exercise to be a part of your life and a part of your future, then, then the commitment to having exercise be a part of your life st starts now with knowing that it's going to need to be put aside right now so that you can exercise in your future. So take advantage of this time that you can explore other things. So much of our energy, although it might be physical energy, we can put it mentally on things. I am, I am mentally drained after a full day of working, sitting in a chair at my desk working. I am mentally exhausted yeah. and I leave my office. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm so tired. Even though I didn't physically move my body much that day. So I would challenge those people to really challenge themselves mentally. What is something that can use up your energy mentally that maybe you haven't been challenging yourself to recently? Wow, my mind is being blown. That is the best reframe I've heard in a while around yeah. kind of lack, um, lower movement, lower levels of movement, because it's true. Like, I get so drained sitting all day. Do you want to know what drains me the most? Boredom, <laughs> which is crazy. Yeah. And like, I yeah. will have a whole day, like, say, in the office, 
and you're bored and there's not much going on and you want to just pass out and fall asleep right away. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because you're right. Like when you think of it that way, yeah, you have a lot of energy, but you can spend it mentally. Yeah. Yeah. You can spend it mentally. And another, when I challenge personally, when I challenge this client to do things, I've reflected on it myself, which is something I do often is just, you know, challenge. If I'm going to challenge my client to something, I'm going to challenge myself to do it too. Mm-hmm. So I wrote this, uh, list myself of what are some things that I love doing that I maybe like haven't done, haven't had time for in a while. And this was so silly, but I was like, I love candles and I've never made candles before. So what did I do? I, I set aside an afternoon to like go to the store, buy candle stuff, research how to make candles, stand in my kitchen, make the candles. And you know what? And going back to being active in movement, like was I exercising? No, no, but I was using my mental energy. And then I was like, I, got myself in the car, drove to the store, walked around the store, stood on my feet, made the candles. Like I was, Mm -hmm. I was using my body and now my mind at the same time in a productive way to challenge myself to learn something new. And I was exhausted after a day of making (laughs) candles. (laughs) That is so, so cool to think about. And I want everyone listening to challenge yourselves to say, what haven't I had the time to do? You know, if you're taking some time on the sidelines because you're not exercising right now because of recovery, ask yourself that question. I love this, but I mean, I'm giving you all the credit for this. Like write down all the things you haven't had time to do and spend your energy on that. And honestly, that's going to boost your recovery in itself because a huge part of recovery is figuring out who you are without your eating disorder. Yes, exactly. And, and you can explore new things too. Like, like I said, I had never made candles before, but I was like, but I love candles. So what should I do there? You know, (laughs) write a list of things you love, write a thing, a list of things that um, you haven't had time for and, and then do them. I'm just so happy that I had you on the show today because I think I'm, I can think of a bunch of people who are going to use that advice. So that's awesome. I'm glad. So, you know, I have a huge list, but I'm going to just to wrap things up because this has really flown by and it's been a pleasure talking to you. What advice do you have? I usually like to end with this. What advice do you have for people in recovery who are struggling with their relationship with disorder, with food or maybe exercise? Don't give up. And I know that's so simple, but... (laughs) I think some people struggle for a really, really long time. And then they feel like then they're, that they're, they're living with an eating disorder. They're living with these problems and you don't have to. The most successful people in this world are just those that never give up. We're all on our own timeline. Some people get results in 12 weeks. Some people get results in 12 years. Some people more than that. But if you never give up, you will be successful and it will be worth it. It is worth it everybody who's on the other side of it has always said it's so worth it and I'll never go back. Everybody. Mm -hmm. Well, that is such a powerful reminder for everyone. And I love telling people that never give up. Yeah. Never give up. (sighs) Well, Lindsay, I appreciate you so much. How can listeners find you? I'm sure they're all going to want to find you now. So how can they find you on the internet? (laughs) On Instagram, I'm at Rise Up Nutrition Run. 
at, at the run-in at the end of it. And uh, same with my website, www.riseupnutritionrun.com. I do also have a little Facebook group. If you just search Rise Up Nutrition page, you should be able to find it. But Instagram and my website are my go-tos. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And yeah, I'm totally going to be in touch with you so we can just continue working together. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast.